now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV, now reluctantly giving Christian a vacation. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And welcome to a very special edition of the Amazing Nerd Show. So this week, Christian is headed off on vacation. And that's definitely going to affect the show because, you know, he's the show editor and I barely know how to turn on my computer. Uh, But with that being said, we didn't want to leave you high and dry. So instead of doing a clip show of older content that you've already heard, uh, we went into the Patreon archives, which is now over 40 episodes strong, and put together a sampler of what you can expect weekly if you choose to subscribe. We've got a lot of film and show reviews that we didn't get a chance to talk about on the regular podcast, along with Patreon-exclusive countdowns like our worst Star Wars moments of the Disney Plus era. That's right, and we also have an after show where we talk about our personal best and worst moments of nerd culture for that week. So if you're interested, starting in September, and this will be news for the people who are already subscribed to the Patreon, you will be able to access all that content and more for only $5 a month. So that's a lot of bang for your buck. For those who have already subscribed, we will of course be messaging you about all the changes coming. But for now, sit back and enjoy, and also make sure to join us next week as we break down the premiere episodes of Ahsoka. Now granting access to Patreon level clearance. Now scanning all of 2022. This is the Amazing Nerd Show's best and worst moments of the year. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show on Patreon. All right, so this week we're going to do a very special edition of the best and worst of the week as we've decided to take a look back at the year that was 2022 and choose the best and the worst moments from the entire year as a whole. Uh, I mean, it's been a pretty crazy year across the board. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. To start off my list of favorite moments, I'm going to go with Wanda killing all of the Illuminati in um, (laughs) Multiverse of Madness. Uh, While the film itself didn't really make my list this year, uh, this moment itself just really stood out (laughs) as an amazing moment in cinematic history. (laughs) (laughs) you're going to be able to really tell by our picks that we're really channeling our inner 13 year olds absolutely Um, (laughs) but this is the moment where i I feel like multiverse of madness really became a horror movie yes so i totally understand why it made your list i mean i would never guess in a million years that we would see patrick stewart return to like this (laughs) beloved character just for us to watch him get his neck broken like by the yeah. Scarlet Witch. I mean, holy shit. Like, I don't know what Kevin Foggy was drinking that day, but I mean, it must have been good. Oh, <laughs> it was clearly fuck Black Bolt Punch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think, like, everything that happened with Reed, you know, having, you know, John Krasinski come in, play the character, was Foggy just trolling fans? Oh, yeah. He was just like so sick of people asking him (laughs) to cast him in the role. Like, he's like, okay, fine, I'll cast him just to turn him into fucking human spaghetti. (laughs) (laughs) That feels like a troll job to me. So, uh, no. All right. Well, um, my number three pick comes from the boys, and there were plenty of moments that I could have chose from. I went ahead and chose the moment that I think will end up having the biggest consequences 
for this series. And that's Homelander killing a protester in cold blood and getting cheered for it. Yes. <laughs> like, I expect the ramifications from this moment to just be huge in the next season. Homelander has now realized that he doesn't have to hide who he really is anymore to get accepted. And even though, like, throughout the season, he started to come to terms with that, um, I think this was kind of his I could shoot someone in the middle of Times Square moment, if you get my drift. Um, oh, I mean, the song <laughs> that plays during that is literally called I Can Do Anything. Now. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Which so, I have recently saved to my playlist. <laughs> I just, I, I can't wait to see the monster this ends up unleashing mm-hmm. on the world. And, you know, finding out, Mark. Let me say it one more time. So I can't wait to see, like, how this all plays out and, like, what kind of monster, like, this moment really just unleashes onto the world. All right, for my number two, I have James Gunn taking on DC. Uh, Not only was this something that we really wished for for a good half of the start of the year, but the fact that he's now taken the reins, making it his own, and pretty much silencing anyone that's like coming up with a bogus rumor out there. Uh, James Gunn has definitely been the right person for the job so far, at least so far. Not going to win. The yes. only reason why this didn't make my list is just because I want to see how it plays out. Um, but I, I do agree with you that I feel like this is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I've been loving his transparency. Absolutely. So I'm excited for DC's future. I know a lot of, there's a lot of like naysayers out there, but once again, I mean, let's wait and see how it plays out before we start like storming the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that like fire James Gunn trends every day is pretty, <laughs> pretty absurd, people. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ. Obviously, there were issues way before Gunn took over, or he wouldn't be in this position that he is now. So, um, I mean, remember. This is the same company before he took the job that just canned an entire Batgirl film. And after, like, he, you know, delivered us such great work in Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, I feel like he deserves a chance to, you know, really right the ship. If anything, at least it's a step at all, you know, for DC. So we'll see what happens. So for my number two pick, I'm going to go with Boba Fett saving the day riding a fucking Rancor. Uh, Listen, Book of Boba Fett was a mixed bag. And the show itself didn't even get like an honorable mention from me when I was counting down my favorite series uh, on the podcast this week. But you don't get more fucking metal than Boba Fett on a Rancor. Uh-huh. Uh, it just felt like something I would have done playing with my toys and my, <laughs> my Star Wars toys in my uh-huh. backyard as a kid. Um, so, like, to see it play out on the screen was just pretty fucking awesome. Like I said, a lot of these moments are just us, like, you know, channeling our inner, you know, child. Well, so. I mean, speaking of channeling my inner child, just seeing Obi-Wan lift a hundred rocks to 
you know, pelt Darth Vader with them. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something right out of my fucking imagination. And that's exactly what we got out of Obi-Wan versus Vader, which was not only just like a well, you know, choreographed fight, but there was a plenty of emotion and story behind it that really made it stand out between all the Star Wars battles that we've gotten. Well, and it gave us that amazing visual of Vader with the cracked helmet. Yes. You know, like, so you can see Anakin for the first time. Anakin's gone. I'm what remains. Uh, even though we got a very similar moment in Rebels, but like seeing that play out in live action form was just breathtaking. And for me, really helped to kind of connect Anakin to Vader. You know, like actually like seeing it, like actually seeing, mm. you know, the man under the mask um, facing defeat once again you know, to his, you know, former master. You know, they keep uh, teasing that the fact that Ahsoka, the Ahsoka series will travel, you know, across different points in her life. And I'm wondering if they will show her fight Vader at all, you know, just to give a live action representation. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the rumors mm -hmm. out there that you're going to see multiple battles between Ahsoka and Vader. Um, so I'm wondering if we are going to see that, you know, moment in Rebels, play out on the screen mm -hmm. which would be pretty amazing because i mean it's not only like one of my favorite moments of the series it's one of my favorite like star wars moments of all time Chris, i just realized you totally screwed up our formula we're supposed to be doing our worst before we pick our number one you know best moment i guess i got excited i'm oh, sorry oh my god <laughs> we'll end on your best how about that whatever uh just ruin the show for everyone, Christian. God damn it. Um, so my worst moment comes from the world of wrestling, and it's the all-out press conference. And the fact that I have to get up here and do this in 2022 is fucking embarrassing. And if y'all are at fault, fuck you. If you're not, I apologize. Um, I don't know if AEW is truly recovered from this moment still. I mean, I love CM Punk, but the damage that he caused AEW is pretty fucking massive. Yeah. Um, and I think he's really, like, tarnished his legacy. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like, his return, like, went from being a feel-good story to an absolute nightmare. <laughs> All the while, like, sitting there eating muffins. Like, yes. I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's pretty astonishing when you think of how much this moment changed the narrative about AEW in, like, fans' eyes. Um, I think it revealed some ugly truths that maybe the inmates are running the asylum is, like, Tony Khan just kind of sat there listlessly, uh, not knowing what to do. Um, I do feel like there is a redemption story here possible for Punk and AEW. Um, you know, if they could just somehow maybe, you know, agree to work together again. Um, I just can't imagine someone having this much lack of self-awareness and not realizing how wrong he was in this moment. Mm -hmm. And everyone fucks up, but it's up to Punk to really own it here um and just come to terms with what's happened and try to make it right um is that in his character i don't know 
but I hope so for his sake and for AEW's sake. Because I feel like they were really on the threshold of making something really special happen in that company. I mean, you think about it like, you know, there was never a point during this year where the company was operating at 100%. Like they mm -hmm. had so many injuries that we never got to see like AEW in its final form, you know, like fully functioning with, you know, its entire roster intact, um, you know, and they still were able to put on amazing shows. Um, but like, you know, taking Punk out of the picture, the fact that Adam Cole was on the shelf and still on the shelf. And then, you know, like we just got Kenny Omega back and then we ended up losing him and the Bucks. I mean, it's a it, it's a miracle that like Tony Khan was able to keep things afloat. Uh, so and I'm not saying like, you know, the future for AEW is like dire straits or anything like that. But I mean, this was a hard hit that's going to take them a while to recover from. Mm -hmm. um, I just hope that like Punk could somehow like be part of, you know, their future still. Um, you know, money talks. So <laughs> it just would be such a shame because there's so much potential there and so many amazing programs and matches that we're just losing out on. Yeah, it's, it was a real unfortunate event. And it still boggles my mind that, you know, the comments that he was able to make, which just only proved everything that like Hangman and all the comments that were made before, correct. You yeah. know, it's just, it, it, it was There's some very petty bullshit. moment. Yeah, <laughs> some petty bullshit going on there. Like uh, he, the dude just won the world title too. Yes. And he, <laughs> he made that moment all about his fucking gripes instead of about, you know, you know, celebrating the moment and, exactly. you know, the company as a whole. I mean, he took the company and made it feel almost bush league, like it was beneath him the way he was just talking down, you know, to the entire roster. And at the same time, I don't know, emasculating Tony Khan, who just kind of like sat there and like let punk like run roughshod in all fairness like you know i think tony was in shock but just was a horrible look optics wise trust so. me when i was there in the crowd for punk's return i, I never imagined it getting to here you I know, know right <laughs> and that all. was what like nine months prior yeah just it truly insane. was pretty much the lowest moment of 2022. Uh, but if I can give one more. Uh, well, in nerd I culture, I mean, there's plenty of awful things. That yes, in, in nerd world. culture. <laughs> in nerd culture, I mean. <laughs> I mean, there's wars happening and like a pandemic still going on. So let's not get, let's not get too overdramatic. I mean, it is still just, you know, men in tights pretending to fight. So. <laughs> But still the real to world. me, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if I can give uh, just one quick honorable mention, this is more just because it was fucking hilarious. The fact that Sony got duped into re-releasing Morbius after its first flop, oh, uh, just thanks to the Morbin Time meme, uh, <laughs> I definitely think was an amazing moment in Nerdum <laughs> and culture in general. Uh, thank you, Internet, and did thank it, you, Sony. Did it make any money? No. 
it was it, it hit nothing practically uh, <laughs> you can't blame them for trying at least right i guess but to not understand that they're just mocking the film yeah yeah, because they didn't add anything new content wise no. or, you know, edit they the got... film to like, you know, include the in-joke. Uh-huh. They got Jared Leto to do an ad saying it's Morbin time, you know, for the <laughs> like, that's insane. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, all right, Damon, it's all been building up to this. What was your number one moment of 2022? Well, Christian, my number one moment is... Eddie Munston shredding Master of Puppets in the Upside Down. Percy, this is for you. Uh, I think everybody who grew up a metalhead got to live vicariously through Eddie Munson in this moment. I mean, not only does he bravely provide a distraction, you know, during the season's final battle, but he also provides an amazing soundtrack, but he also provides an amazing soundtrack as the gang goes toe to toe with the evil of Vecna. I mean, growing up, I knew a lot of Eddie Munson's, um, so, I mean, the character just kind of resonated with me. So getting to see him go out as a hero uh, was absolutely one of my favorite moments of the year. I mean, what an absolute like breakout performance for Joseph Quinn as well. Like what a great moment for him. And hopefully he gets picked up for a lot more roles in the future. I, I'm sure he's going to. I mean, we've already heard multiple rumors surrounding mm -hmm. him at this point. So I'm sure he'll probably, you know, show up in a Star Wars, you know, something or an MCU, you know, yeah. film or series. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like the gateway to Hollywood at this point. So, uh, but yeah, no, a, a fantastic, you know, show and an amazing moment. Now playing audio from March 27's best and worst of the week. Christian's big move. Right, Damon, I finally got my ass in gear and finally moved all my, well, a third of my shit out of the old office and in here i have all my stuff set up properly i know i've been talking about it since like last fucking june but i'm here <laughs> why are you literally trying to lie to me right now i'm looking behind you and uh, that shit's not set up properly what are you talking about it looks like a huge in front mess of me, i have lights cameras fucking screens they're all I'm in front saying, of me obviously you can't I'm looking see at that. like an old school cowboy like wash basin like behind you and like <laughs> Just a bunch of shit. Like we're gonna do a preview video in a little bit, man. You gotta, you gotta clean that up. It's fine. I'll be there. Oh god. Anyway, <laughs> see what I deal with. Last um, time I use a bin from the kitchen. <laughs> is that what that anything. is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, I just kind of assumed like everything would be set up, you know, by now, you know, comic book wise and everything. Like your backdrop. Are you streaming in this mess? I, I probably will be a little bit. You're I'm still really, gonna buy the detoffs. You I, are I gotta, besmirching the brand once again, Christian. I am not. It, I told people it's a work in progress. You know, the main I'd thing say. was getting this up and going. My desk, uh -huh. my brand new desk, and everything else. Uh, did you at least, you know, do a video of the desk to share with the people? Uh, not yet, but I will be making one. Okay. All right. Let's get on it, man. Come right, on now. I, I want to make it. How's the sound? Is the sound better in this room? Um, so far, I mean, I, have you noticed any differences just hearing me? Um, I mean, you sound a little more echoey, but I mean, you don't have I everything up on the walls. Yeah, true. I don't have everything in the room yet, so but it it should be better. 
Okay. Knock on wood. Because <laughs> I might make you move back, Christian. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, are you painting at all? No, no I'm going to keep it this uh, dark blue. Gotcha. Gotcha. So why did you choose to move again? Was it the sound or just space? Column A, column B. I mean, mostly okay. the space. Uh, this was always originally supposed to be my room. But, um, you know, I had a friend that needed a place to stay. So I let them use it. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh -huh. Okay. What a good friend. Um, well, anyway, enough of your big move. We're starting to sound like one of those like TLC shows my wife watches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie this week. Uh, WrestleMania almost made my list. I mean, it didn't, but almost made my list. So I'm pretty excited for Mania weekend. And it's been a long time since I could really say that. Honestly, I kept forgetting it was this weekend. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm just so engrossed in the Bloodline storyline uh, that I'm just excited to see, like, what takes place this weekend. And, you know, hopefully, like, WWE and Triple H, like, pull the trigger and do the right thing. Which, of course, is, you know, Cody walking away with the titles. It just feels like the accumulation of such a great story. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said last year when Cody joined WWE, I can't believe it's been a year. Um I'm rooting for Cody. I feel like, you know, what he's given to the business has been underappreciated, you know, to a certain extent by fans. Um, and I know, like, you know, his run in AEW became a little, like, overindulgent at times. Um, but at the same time, with that being said, like, you can't argue that he wasn't one of the most entertaining things, like, week after week on that mm -hmm. show. So and he gave us some amazing moments uh, and, you know, he's done more of the same in, you know, WWE. So, I mean, you got to give him credit where credit's due. But I don't know why I'm rambling about WWE because it didn't make my list at all. So, <laughs> so let's get the show on the road. The more wretched hives come and villainy. Take a seat and enjoy some death sticks as our nerds welcome you to the amazing nerd shows. Worst Star Wars Disney Plus moments. So, with the Star Wars Disney Plus era, there have been some amazing highlights throughout the different series over the last couple years that really enhanced the already legendary franchise. But with the good, of course, comes the bad. And while there's not as many, there are definitely a handful of lowlights also. With the worst of the worst threatening to impede and hurt the overall story that they're trying to tell. So, without further ado, here's our top 5 worst moments of the Star Wars Disney Plus era. So my number five pick comes from the Book of Boba Fett series, uh, which is Boba Fett is in the goddamn back to tank yet again. Wake up, boss. While the idea behind these flashback sequences weren't fundamentally bad, they just went to the well one too many times for my liking and it became kind of a symbol of the overall narrative problem with the series. I mean, don't get me wrong, non-linear storytelling isn't a bad thing, but this choice just kind of derailed any momentum that the series had, and it always seemed to start with another fucking dip in the back to tank. My number five, I have the Mandalorians not being able to protect their children. Young ones, to the game! Get back, get back! I feel like it's more of a nitpick at the end of the day, but it was kind of our reintroduction to, you know, the Mandalorians and their new home base. And we kind of just see them being completely unprepared for anything that comes to attack them. Uh, the very beginning of the show, we get this sequence of, you know, a youngling, you know, finally taking, you know, his vows and shit. 
and a beast attacks and it felt like majority of them were just running away to safety. For me, this was almost like gonna kill the, the mystique and interest I had because I was like, why are so many of you so unprepared when your whole you know, thing is about being armored up and ready for a fight at all times? Then later on in the season, we get to see them again, you know, training outside and it doesn't look all that great with their training se sequence in general, but then a child gets stolen and we find out that this has been happening quite often while Din Djarin's not around. You know, I'm all for making Din Djarin, you know, the most important character amongst the Mandalorians, but I want to feel like all the other, you know, people in his tribe are just as skilled at least as him to track down the things that are killing their children. You know, the fact that they even thought to write a line about how this is happening quite often, it just made no sense to me. But it gave Bo and Din, I guess, a fucking hero story to play out later on, I guess. So for my number four pick, I chose the slow-mo chase scene between the mods of Major Domo from the Book of Boba Fett. Get up! Now, this had to be absolutely the saddest chase sequence in franchise history. Like, I understand that there are probably budget restraints coming into play here, but if that's the fucking case, then just don't do the scene. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it made no logical sense, especially since Boba Fett has a fucking jetpack. I mean, he could have swooped in and grabbed Major Domo at any point. Um, like, part of me can't believe that the series was filmed and directed by Robert Rodriguez, who used to be known for his great action sequences. I have no idea what the hell happened here, but it's one of the more cringier Star Wars moments in recent memory. Yeah, the slow chase sequence is also my number four here. I often disassociate the fact that, you know, Robert Rodriguez also directed this sequence. I completely forget about that all the time. And it makes no sense to me. He knows action. I, I'm, I'm assuming that he wanted to play some, you know, cheesy homage to like old chases and films, but this just did not work at all. I, I spent most of my time screaming at the fucking screen as it was just the slowest looking thing Thing I've ever seen. And to harp on your point there, why didn't Boba just swoop in at all to just pick him up? It completely defeated the purpose of the fucking scene. There's many scenes like that in Book of Boba Fett where he has a jetpack and is just not using it properly. It's like, oh, we, we wanted to save it for the, the end of the show or some shit like that. I don't know. But everything with the mods was just so disappointing. I don't know if they were just big cyberpunk fans or what, and they were trying to, you know, add that aspect into the show. There's a lot of aspects of Star Wars that does work with a cyberpunk style future, but this just wasn't one of the ideas that I think I needed to see on screen, and it really took me out of the Book of Boba Fett every time they were up to something. The mods made no sense. They were a huge mistake for Star Wars, and it's one thing I wish we could write on, or maybe even do an Imperial bombing run on. So for my number three pick, I chose Darth Vader being terrified of a fire that he kind of lit himself. <laughs> From the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Um, in perhaps the laziest scratch-your-head moment of any of the Disney Plus shows, Vader looks on as Obi-Wan escapes his grasp because of a fire that he kinda lit himself. 
Like, I understand why Anakin would hate fire, uh, but the motherfucker's got the Force, and it felt really silly for him to just, just to kind of sit there and watch Obi-Wan slowly escape right in front of him. I mean, Force pull him, or like, choke him out, you big dummy. What the fuck? Yeah, this was definitely one of the most infuriating moments in Obi-Wan. Um, watching Vader, you know, light his own fire, try to burn Obi-Wan with it, and then just stand there frozen in fear of the fire that he lit. I understand the direction was to just allow Obi-Wan to leave. Maybe it was like a sense of torture, a kind of victory for Vader. But for me, it just didn't work. And it, it started off really awesome. Like I thought that scene was gonna be really cool. And then we just watch a droid slowly drag off Obi-Wan. It, it just doesn't work. And it's, it's crazy to think like how many pieces of media Star Wars has done with Vader on fire, using that fear and hatred as a you know weapon for himself as well. Spoilers for Jedi Survivor here, but then um, I compare this scene directly to what we just got in that game where Vader, you know, gets caught on fire. And instead of them turning it into this big crutch, he, you know, utilizes that a new source of power for him. You know, he's trying to embody his fear and anger that is caused by the fire rather than tucking his tail between his legs. I don't know, I was just very frustrated by this scene. And I remember how mad it made me during uh, just the breakdown of it. I just, I couldn't stand that he, couldn't just cross the flame or use the force in any matter, just like you said, Damon. But I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, I feel like you could compare this scene to uh, the moment in um, Freddy versus Jason when Freddy realizes he's in a hut full of fire. Just too ridiculous to let go. So for my number two pick, I chose the senseless murder of the Tusken Raiders from, yet again, the Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, like I understand why they did what they did here. Um, I love a good revenge story as much as, you know, the next guy, but it just kind of felt unnecessary and pretty unsatisfying at the end of the day. You could argue that, you know, Boba Fett was already on the road to enlightenment at this point and didn't really need the Tusken Raiders' death to put him on the path of, you know, taking Jabba's throne. And I, you know, part of me kept on waiting for at least the Tusken warrior of the tribe to come back to help Boba Fett since we never saw her body, you know, and maybe like assist him in the fight against the Pikes. But at last, that never happened. Um, and it just felt like such a huge waste. I mean, the Tuscans, they just deserved better than just being pure cannon fodder, which is exactly what they became, which is pretty ironic, you know, considering the story that they're trying to tell. My number two also comes from the book of Boba Fett. It's gonna be when Black Chrysanthemum tried to kill Boba Fett. This assassination sequence uh, with Black Chrysanthemum, you know, being introduced into the show uh, was incredibly disappointing. For one, the fact that this giant Wookiee uh, was able to sneak in through the facility with all these guards around. I don't remember if Fennec was in the facility or not, but it should have been kind of impossible for someone his size um, and, you know, a Wookiee of all things to be quiet enough to get to Boba's chambers, let alone uh, then not kill him. Uh, the fact that, you know, 
Boba had so much plot armor in this sequence uh, made no sense. Like he, he doesn't even really come out all that much injured from it. He gets ripped out of the back to tank and then just thrown around until, you know, allies come. There was no real threat to Boba in this sequence and it just ended up feeling incredibly lazy. Like at least with the Vader moment, there was, you know, a a good amount of stuff that was happening right beforehand to make it something you know memorable for me but this just i don't know man it made such a cool character look so weak at the same time and while i did enjoy the continued use of black chrysanthemum in this season and you know i love that character in general from the comics um i just eh, this sequence was not necessary and just very poorly done like hell he could have just broke a limb or something it made no sense for someone that literally can rip off arms to just toss a guy around um, that he's been paid to kill and best of all the huts uh that you know us paid for him pretty much just say oh fuck it we don't want to deal with this shit it's it's too much for us it's bad for business blah 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 it, it was all badly written which was just a common theme across Boko Boba Fett as a show all right so for my number one pick I chose the dark saber payoff or lack of from the Mandalorian season three while exploring Mandalore I was captured and this blade was taken from me Bo-Katan rescued me and slayed my captor. She defeated the enemy that defeated me. Would this blade then not belong to her? It would. So we spent the last two years since Mando got his hands on the Darksaber in the finale of season two, wondering what does all this mean? I mean, countless hours of speculation, pondering if he'll end up leading Mandalore or if there'll be this huge throwdown, perhaps against Bo-Katan for, you know, control of the planet. You know, all that for him to just simply hand over the Darksaber in the most anticlimactic fashion possible. All due to some horribly contrived loophole. Um, you know, I just don't get what the point of all this was. I mean, what are we doing, people? Um, as Mando gave his explanation on why he could just hand over the fucking Darksaber to Bo-Katan, I could literally hear the writers in the writer's room trying to write themselves out of a fucking corner that they put themselves into. This has to be the most frustrated I've been with the franchise since the rise of Skywalker, and that's saying a whole lot. And that's absolutely why this is number one on my list. Yeah, to retcon something that was so built up just felt wrong in this moment. You know, just like, hey, here's this big loophole we can use. Um, he she technically won the the fucking lightsaber already but then to have you know moff gideon also destroy the lightsaber in the end and you know say pretty much you know do the whole like you know the mandalorians don't need their trinkets type of shit as a storyline pretty much just made me hate the dark saber storyline entirely you know because since its first appearance what was it season two we've done nothing but speculate you know what they're gonna do with it and all this stuff you know how is it gonna get passed back it could have been a bigger moment for the show and for these characters together especially considering the emotional weight this probably put on both Din Djarin and Bo-Katan as characters. You know, the fact that he's been holding and wielding it this entire time. I'm sure the answer is going to be, hey, we broke this so that we can build it again in a different way, you know, so that Grogu can eventually use it. But I feel like this overall diminishes a lot of the legacy of this lightsaber. You know me, I'm a big fucking lightsaber guy. I love all this shit. I love the ritual of it all and the, and the fact that they just kind of 
trashed it in this weird loophole and then destroyed it by the end of the season just pissed me off uh <laughs> and that's why it's an easy number one for both of us i think um yeah writing wise it's just it was a weird choice um you can really tell that they didn't know what to do anymore so they just fucking said hey let's just do it this way um really disappointing from a show that i really do enjoy and love a lot and i still stand by with season three being probably the weakest so far out of all the um, Mandalorian seasons. Has a lot of great moments, but stuff like this uh, really hurt the show for me personally. But with that said, that's gonna do it for our worst Star Wars moments in Disney+. Plus. If there's anything that we missed, of course, let us know in the comments below here on Patreon. We'd love to hear your least favorite moments from, you know, what's been going on with Disney Plus so far. And hopefully um, this is the end of all those types of bad moments. Uh, hopefully we don't see anything as shitty as the Darksaber getting destroyed and, and or just passed around like that. Now playing day. audio from April 3rd's best and worst of the week. C2E2 and WrestleMania weekend. Uh, all right, Christian. So we both had busy weekends. Uh, you were at C2E2 um, having all the fun yes. while I was stuck, you know, <laughs> doing family stuff and watching WrestleMania, uh, <laughs> which honestly, like WrestleMania wasn't awful this year by any means. Like there's been actually uh, like medias that have been, you know, a hundred times worse just mm. recently, honestly. Um, but it just left such a bad taste in my mouth having Cody not capture the title after all that fucking build up. It was like, yep, yep it's WWE, WWE <laughs> again. Um, Laid out next to a rubber chicken. Holy <laughs> shit. That's, that's going to be a fucking iconic photo. Uh -huh. Honestly, My God. Like I, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a thing. Like people throwing rubber chickens into his matches and shit like Sven Gullin mm -hmm. him. Um, and I'm all here for it. Like, I mean, don't be wrong. Like, I feel bad for him, but my God, like whoever was directing in that moment, the fact that they didn't cut away right away, you know, I mean, I guess maybe they didn't realize what it was in the ring, <laughs> but here's my question. Like who had the president in mind to actually bring the rubber chicken with them just in case things uh -huh. like went awry, you know, in the main event. Cause that, that's what it had to be. Right. I guess. It you gotta imagine sitting next to that guy. He's probably squeaking it the whole time because it's got that I stupid don't voice know, box. Man. I think he was keeping that shit fucking Safe. hidden, just waiting for his moments, <laughs> just like knowing that WWE was gonna shit the bed. Like, uh -huh. oh <laughs> yeah, no, iconic, iconic. Poor Cody. Now I know we briefly talked about it on the podcast, but C two E two was a good time this year. Yeah, I think it just gets better every time we go out there. You know, the cosplay is getting cooler. You know, the panels are awesome. I've definitely been, you know, put more into a convention mood now because of going to that. So I'm like, oh, what else can I show up at, you know, this year? Well, like we kind of started hitting our stride with conventions with the podcast, you know, going mm. as press and then the pandemic happened. Exactly. So like, you know, I'm not going to force you to go into conventions when like the plague is out there. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I mean, like, rightfully so, like, I didn't go to any, you know, honestly, like, I haven't been one since our last C2E2. So I was really hoping to go this year, but it just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, but yeah, no, and you got into the spirit of things. You actually dressed up also. Oh, yeah, I actually went as Gengar while my uh, girlfriend and her friends were all Team Rocket. And actually, we, we actually excited 
a lot of children there. Like, uh, I was surprised how many kids actually wanted to take a photo with me. It was very that, funny. That's awesome. No, I mean, uh-huh. my daughter last Halloween was uh, Jesse from Team Rocket. So gotcha. people love their Team Rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pokemon is still as hot as always. So, um, but yeah, no, oh, I don't know if you noticed in those photos, but Katie got me like this Gengar, like blinged out necklace. And then no. I also uh, wore um, sunglasses, so I was I was kind of like Dripgar instead of Gengar. Oh, God, you know, that's what I'm awful, saying? Christian. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible. I'm gonna take all the photos down from our social media now. <laughs> you can check those photos out for yourselves uh, at Amazing Nerd Show. There mm. are plenty of Christian and his girlfriends. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it looked like you're having an awesome time, though. Yes. Do you prefer C2E2 over Asin? And for I, those who don't know, ASIN is the anime convention. I think I prefer ASIN because it's closer to my house. <laughs> That's <laughs> and I don't fair. have to worry about like traveling as You're much. You're such an old man. That's totally what my aunt's like. That would that would absolutely factor in my decision, like my choice. Like uh, it, all about like distance had to you know that you have to travel and everything like that. Yes, no, hundred percent. Well, the, uh, you've been to the McCormick Center. That yes. place has shit parking. Like yes, the whole horrible. parking setup is awful, and the, like the other parking garages are literally like two miles away so, from like, the actual it's place. Like a half hour from my house, and it took us at least forty five minutes to find parking. Exactly. We were just driving in a circle looking for parking. It was insane. So I, I totally understand. Um, where's Asin usually held? Um, that's over at the uh, Donald E. Stevens Center in uh, Rosemont. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I'm sure both are fantastic times. No, yeah. but I think C2E2 definitely feels like the bigger event. It feels like Chicago's pr- premier like comic book convention, yeah. whereas Asin's a bit smaller. But, yeah, know. well, and it's more of a niche, right? Because it's yeah. just, it's anime only, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to have Chris Evans show up, you know, doing, like, you know, signings and shit like that. And exactly. Said, so, unless he has, like, an anime project that I don't know about. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get started on our best and worst of the week. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1. The daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter 
or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you wanna take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. Media Archive Access Granted, The Amazing Nerd Show presents Disney Plus series The Bad Batch Season 2, Better Late Than Never Review. And now, our feature presentation. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is another Better Late Than Never Review. Uh, this month, we're going to go ahead and take a look at Season 2 of The Bad Batch. Well, you know what makes us different? We make our own choices. What do you need, Rex? Any chance I could use you for a mission? We went over the plan five times. Boom! What sort of treachery is this? Stay back! So, to call season two of The Bad Batch uneven would be an understatement. Honestly, before I watched the last four episodes, I was actually prepared to come on here and just tear the second season apart. I mean, the entire reason this is a better late than never review is the show just started to feel like a real chore to watch, especially those first six or so episodes, minus, you know, everything with Commander Cody. A lot of this was due to just treading over old themes from, you know, the first season with just little growth and, you know, missions for missions sake, with Hunter, of course, hemming and hawing over keeping Omega safe, even though he continues to bring her on dangerous fucking missions. Uh, there were a lot of episodes that just frankly felt disposable, unfortunately, where the action was fine enough, but otherwise just the plot felt very aimless and uneventful. And there seemed to be this weird de-emphasis of Crosshair, who was the character that I was probably most invested in, you know, when it came to their journey. Um, the only thing that kept me watching was the episodes sprinkled throughout the season that had to do with the Empire's clone conspiracy. And thankfully, the last three or four episodes really refocused the narrative to revolve around the clone's future uh, in the galaxy. And, you know, the finale, which had some really strong Empire Strikes Back vibes, gave the third and final season a mission statement that should drive the series to new heights, if done right. I mean, 
hopefully we get to watch Hunter do what he does best and track down his surrogate daughter in Omega. So my guess is he'll probably be working closely with Rex and crew to find Hemlock, who I will say I enjoyed much more as the main villain, comparatively speaking, to Rampart. Um, I just wish at the end of the day they would have trimmed the fat episode count-wise, you know, giving us less like Sid and Fee and more Crosshair and Rex. I mean, I'm glad, don't get me wrong, that they paid off the Sid storyline in the finale. I just feel like it could have been done just as effective with less time wasted on, you know, this mission of the week garbage. The Bad Batch series soars when it gives us glimpses of the difficult transition the galaxy's going through with the Empire now in control. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and give the second season of The Bad Batch a C, which, trust me, is a much better grade than I originally thought I was going to give it. But those last couple episodes, I felt like they really were able to pull up the nose and stick the landing. And I do like the setup for the final season. I'm really looking forward to seeing how some of the unanswered questions that they left us with play out at the end of the day. And I'm hoping with it being the final season, we'll have less filler episodes. Because I did end up falling in love with some of these characters, which, you know, my God, like when they first were introduced in the final season of Clone Wars, I never thought would actually happen. I just hope that we get the send off that they and we deserve. I mean, to me, it felt like they ordered a certain number of episodes and Filoni had to kind of just stretch to fill the season. Cause yeah, some of these episodes I agree just felt like either rehashes of old story elements from the first season or just random missions for fun. But I will say, I still enjoyed most of these episodes for what it's worth. While a, as a season, I wish there had been, you know, more of a through line or purpose for some of these, but they were still fun in the end. Um, they remind me of what we would get from a typical season of Clone Wars. Uh, I'm not sure why Crosshair took such a back seat this season and even the episodes we got with him while the first mission of his was you know well done. I wasn't a big fan of the later episode where he basically starts to you know understand and figure out who the actual enemy is here. Well maybe. You know not only did the episode for me play incredibly slow but it felt like Crosshair had lost a bit of his edge. I was expecting him I was expecting a lot more from him I guess in this moment where the Empire essentially lets one of his comrades perish i understand the contemplation in the moment but it kind of irked me a bit you know that we didn't see that more killer instinct of him come out knowing that he was probably next on the chopping block either way the two-part finale was definitely what really woke me back up for this show as i'm really starting to enjoy the connections across star wars generations that filoni is doing with this clone saga and you know the mandalorian and everything um the last few episodes also looked incredibly cinematic and were well animated with great uses of shadows and colors that really was like candy for the eyes. I am really looking forward to season three now because of the finale, as I don't think there will be, you know, kind of a way for them to go outside of the main story. I imagine we'll get something probably similar in tone as the final season of Clone Wars, but for my grade this season, I will be giving it a B minus. Now playing audio from January 28th, best and worst of the week. Christian gets carjacked. So it's been one hell of a week uh, for me. I don't know about you, Damon. I'm sick as a dog. I mean, but if you listen to the podcast, you know that. So <laughs> it's been kind of a shitty week. Uh, but, you know, go ahead, Christian. I don't know where you're well, headed. <laughs> outside of nerdum, before I even get into like my best and worst, my car was randomly robbed while I was doing fucking deliveries. <laughs> oh, shit. 
That's horrible. What did they take? Uh, they took the car. Um, oh, which, they stole the fucking car. Yeah, okay. They stole, so like, because um, I, it's not great for me to like turn the car on and off every time I have to get in and out of the car when I'm dropping off orders. So sometimes I just leave it running. Oh, uh, but I have the keys on me. Christian. So it's, it's pushed to start and everything like that. So I, they can't go anywhere without the key. So they were eight, literally drove like two blocks away and then had to get out of the car. So the cops were able to find the vehicle. Oh, within like okay. The hour. So I have the car. Everything's fine. Nothing damaged. Just, nothing damaged. Luckily. <laughs> was it kids? I'm assuming I was right near a high school. Um, a car pulled up out of nowhere while I was dropping off food at the front door. I turn around and I just hear my fucking radio running away from me. Oh my god, <laughs> that must have been fucking scary as hell. Um, so that so you called the cops and then like, how long did it take them to figure out that the car was literally two blocks away? Oh, 45 minutes. It was a, it was a good fun 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Well, that's definitely a pretty shitty week, Christian. So, I mean, I'm glad you got your car back. Yes, thank God. Because uh, I had to go right back to work. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I guess Ugh. you can't really be making deliveries on foot. It doesn't really work out that way, no, right? No, I, I wasn't looking forward to walking home either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at least it was a happy ending. Now playing audio from May 15th's Best and Worst of the Week. Damon saw Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, uh, for my worst of the week, uh, I finally saw Ant-Man and Wasp, Quantumania. And, uh, goddamn, what the hell happened here? <laughs> I'm not gonna do a full review, but I just, I just don't understand a lot of the choices they made with this film. Uh, first and foremost, the effects are so laughable that I actually messaged Christian about halfway through the film to complain. Um, the scenery is a murky, uninspired mess. Uh, you know, with the idea of the quantum realm, they had an open canvas to really do whatever they wanted, but instead of making something truly, like, breathtaking, like, you know, maybe like Oz, if you will, they chose this swirly, muddy nothingness. Um, I just don't get it. Like, <laughs> Modoc, I mean... <laughs> I know it's a comical character, but he looks horrible, like something you could pull off with like an Instagram filter. And like the green screen work looks late 90s. I mean, I, you could literally see the outlines of characters at different points. Um, the, the performances are fine, like across the board, but the story is so overstuffed and definitely needed to be streamlined. Um, Hank and Janet just feel like unnecessary baggage that really just dilutes like the impact of what they were trying to do um it's unfortunate because i really enjoyed the first two ant-man movies and this film had a lot riding on it you know with the introduction of kang but at the end of the day he just felt so cookie cutter to me as a villain because like they barely like developed his story it just felt like a real missed opportunity I mean, hopefully they'll be able to dig themselves out of this hole, um, especially with Kang Dynasty on the horizon. But man, um, they got a lot of digging to do. Um, if I was going to give this a grade off the top of my head, uh, I, I would probably give it a D. Uh, just what a what a fucking mess. Now playing audio from April 24th's Best and Worst of the Week. 
Movie Madness and Blockbuster Nights. So Damon, me and my girlfriend have started doing a thing called Movie Madness Mondays. Uh, where we are doing rock, paper, scissors to see who picks the movie we watch uh, that day. And we don't tell the other what the movie is going to be. Uh, oh, yeah? That sounds been, like a bad idea. It, no, it's been wonderful. I've been forced to watch the Cheetah Girls movie. Oh, yeah? Um, and um, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet 1999 again for the oh, with, like millionth time. With Leo? Yes, with Leo. Uh-huh. Uh, That's that, not that awful. I don't, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> well, I didn't say it was good, but it's not awful. <laughs> it has its moments. In return, I finally got to sit down and watch X and Pearl, uh, which has been, which I really enjoyed X, uh, but Pearl was next level. I thought Ty West did a fantastic job with that film. Now I understand why all those people were calling for you know Mia Goth to be getting some you know Oscar knobs. Here. Yes, that was an incredible monologue that scene alone like yeah. made the film for oh, 100%. me. 100%. I believe I ranked Pearl uh number 1 on my horror countdown for last year, right? So um yeah, dope. Mia Goth is fantastic in both films, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, Pearl is just next level. Uh and yeah. I'm super excited to see Maxine, which Yeah, I'm all on board for Maxine. Yeah, I, I think it's coming out this year. I'm not sure though. Yeah, I hope so, but it might be next year, who knows. Uh, and now after seeing uh, Evil Dead Rise, I'm probably going to make her watch all the old Evil Dead movies because apparently she's never seen those. Uh, is she a horror fan at all? Uh, so are you just torturing your girlfriend is what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> she's not not a horror fan, but it seems like, you know, it's not her like, you know, go to thing. Like she enjoys them to a point she laughs through like all the victims you know moments and you know people falling over and anything like that is pretty funny to her but uh, it's definitely not something that she like shows up for at the theater yeah i mean the evil dead series i don't know if it's necessarily for a casual like core <laughs> <laughs> i think it's funny enough at least yeah i mean if she made it through evil dead rise i'm sure she'll get some enjoyment out of you know raimi's evil dead films yeah um especially like you know army of darkness that's definitely more of a horror comedy if anything exactly well speaking of playing catch up uh i finally got to see scream six which i might be talking about later on on this podcast uh and uh, I'm looking forward to actually checking out uh, Cocaine Bear, which just showed up on uh, Peacock. So for someone, you know, who hasn't been able to get to the theaters as much as he'd like, this whole, like, short, like, release window between, like, theaters and streaming channels, it's definitely had its perks, if you will. Like, I believe Ant-Man's already ready for, you know, on Disney+. Plus. So Yeah, it's, uh, I think, mid-May is when it's supposed to uh premiere so i I remember you know having to wait at least a year before you know anything like streaming would be a conversation (laughs) (laughs) i mean just to get it on fucking vhs it was over Mm -hmm. a year at times i remember waiting with bated breath for uh the first scream film to show up on vhs it took forever and part of that is because they wouldn't even start planning the vhs release until the film was out of theaters so if the film was doing really well and scream was in theaters for months and months like you know that meant like that like vhs release was pushed back so um yeah no it's a whole new world you know for a guy like me honestly (laughs) speaking of vhs um 
Did you see that Blockbuster video put their website back online out of nowhere? Dude, I'm all for it. Like, I, I desperately need a Blockbuster night. <laughs> I That was one of my favorite things in the world to do. Like, that's how you spent your Friday nights as, like, a young teenager. Going to, you know, either your mom, pa, like, video store or Blockbuster. Uh, you know, and spending, like, an hour picking out, like, you know, how you're going to entertain yourself for the weekend. I mean, in those aisles, because of the, you know, VHS covers, that's how you would discover, like, you know, new films. Um, you know, we didn't have the fucking internet back then. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, movies would show up on the shelves that you would have no clue were even being made. You know, especially in the horror genre, because, I mean, a lot of those films would be direct to, like, you know, video. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know what Ginger Snaps was till Blockbuster. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Horror artwork was so important back in the mm -hmm. day because that's what would really sell you on the film. We didn't have these, like, giant, like, you know, viral internet campaigns, you know, pushing even, like, the smallest budget films like, you know, we do nowadays. Um you know, that are like catering to your algorithm, your own personal algorithm. Mm -hmm. So it really was an important way to like help you discover, you know, new films. I mean, once again, sounding like an old man, posters nowadays fucking suck. Like, <laughs> I mean, compare them to posters and like, you know, box cover art from, you know, the 80s and the 90s. There's just no f comparison. Now, everyone's doing those like Star Wars posters at this point where they're just putting everyone's faces looking in a different direction, you know, and that's about it. I mean, unfortunately, that's been happening for a while now. I mean, I, I think the first time I can ever remember a cover like that was actually Scream. Um, you know, it was, you know, mid to late 90s. Then, like, you had tons of copycat films you know, horror-wise, really, like, trying to replicate that. And that's because studios were really trying to feature, like, their new up-and-coming CW talent, which mm. those films were just filled with. Um, but it's just unfortunate because it feels like they never truly ever, like, shaped that trend. I mean, you look at posters, like, you know, for Nightmare on Elm Street that are, like, truly, like, works of art. <laughs> yes. Like, you don't see anything like that nowadays. I mean, sometimes you get these, like, exclusive posters after the fact. Like, once a film catches on, where they'll, like, actually commission an artist to, like, you know, do something big. Mm -hmm. But that's really it. And don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, <laughs> modern conveniences are nice. I mean, just how easily accessible content is nowadays, comparatively speaking, to uh -huh. the 80s and the 90s i mean it's night and day i just really miss those creative lengths that you know studios and artists had to go to to really like sell their products to you because it just added so much to the experience overall i mean that's why like collecting old vhs tapes has, has become such a big thing i mean that hobby's really been booming lately Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still kicking myself for selling, like, most of my, like, horror VHS collection back in the day to my, like, secondhand shop just so I could get a couple bucks, you know, going towards, you know, the newest, like, you know, DVD release. Yeah, you definitely missed out on a gold mine there, but you didn't know that 2020 was going to no. happen and life was going to be like this now. <laughs> no way to predict that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Like, people get their VHS tapes graded and fucking, like, encased oh now. 
and they like their <laughs> values has just skyrocketed. It's insane. Uh-huh. Media archive access granted. The Amazing Nerd Show presents Black Mirror Season 6, Better Late Than Never Review. And now, our feature presentation. Hey, this is Christian, and I finally watched Season 6 of Black Mirror. So let's get into a Better Late Than Never Review. Can everybody that has Streamberry watch this? So that's what your documentary's about. The details are so awful, it is irresistible. <gasps> I love it. I swear Netflix releases things and I just never hear anything about them. You know, like, I totally forgot that this was coming out this month until my friends were like, hey, did you watch the new season of Black Mirror? I was like, oh shit. But I do have to say I'm happy that I jumped right back into Black Mirror as this season, while maybe not the wildest of stories, felt incredibly grounded in our present day and probably one of the best representations of Black Mirror over the last few seasons. Now, I'm not going to break down every single episode that released, um, but I do want to give some of my highlights and you know lowlights, you know, one of them being that I you know really did love the very first episode, um, playing really into the fact that no one ever reads those user agreements for all these apps that we've been using. And them turning Netflix into the bad guys for Joan is Awful was also incredible. Uh, this episode felt like a great combination of a lot of what Black Mirror has accomplished with their stories. And in a day and age where we consider where we're considering replacing actors with AI and CGI renderings, this story felt, you know, real enough besides, you know, the quantum reality computer. Plus it packed a lot of star power with, you know, Salma Hayek and more actors that just uh, appeared out of nowhere. But honestly, I wouldn't say that there were any bad episodes this season. Hell, we uh, basically got a feature length film in the middle of it with Aaron Paul's episode, um, which was like an hour and a half runtime. And yet it still had me glued to the seat for every moment of it, along with the rest of this season. Uh, the only episode that I felt was lacking for me was the paparazzi one, uh, Maisie Day. While, you know, it was shorter than Beyond the Sea, it felt longest due to its pacing and had probably the weakest ending of them all. But really the season's biggest highlight was its closer. Um, that's 1970s style horror episode called Demon 79, where a girl must kill three people to save the world, which definitely featured the strongest performance as well from um, Anjana Vasan. You know, it really had you rooting for this character who had to do these dark tasks for, you know, the betterment of us all. Her chemistry with the demon as well made me want to watch like a whole show based off just the two of them. It was a super fun concept baked in, you know, 1970s style horror and also really embodied the spirit of all customer service workers out there. Overall, the show seemed to keep things, you know, simple visually. Outside of doing things a little bit different with each style of episode, you know, there wasn't anything crazy as far as CGI goes and stuff like that. All the visuals were pretty solid. I will say I have been noticing that, you know, with all the Netflix shows that I watched, they feel like they're all being shot on the same camera all the time. I would like some of these shows to take a little bit more of a variation. All of their originals really seem to be filmed in a very similar fashion. I will say each episode felt distinct enough on their own, but I wouldn't mind if Netflix, you know, got a little bit out of their own comfort zone with their filming styles and what they greenlit and shit like that. But this season as a whole offered the grim-like experience you would expect out of today's modern Twilight Zone. And I hope that they keep this momentum going with a season seven. But for me, Black Mirror season six um, was an A-minus worthy season. I wasn't the biggest fan of the past two seasons. They weren't bad, but they felt like they were just reaching too far. Whereas this felt like way better character stories were involved. Because after all, I think the main point of a show like this is to you know put you in the place of these people that were going through these hellacious things of what could possibly happen in the near future. So I really did enjoy this 
this season. I definitely say you should check it out as well if you're interested in any type of dark stories like the way I am. Now playing audio from April 17th Best and Worst of the Week. Godzilla X Kong New Empire trailer. But one thing we didn't talk about was the Godzilla Kong film, the new one that's coming out, the new Empire. Yes. Um, did you catch the teaser for this? Um, yeah, I, I took a look at it. Um, you know, was it me or did this look fan made? Like, <laughs> what happened here? Like, did that film not? you good like the the, the first uh, Godzilla Kong film well I mean it came out during the pandemic so it, I mean it had that kind of dual release I believe it was in the theaters and streaming at the same time so maybe you know it didn't it wasn't the biggest cash grab for them I'm sure but if that's the case and you're not gonna like bother giving the film a budget then just don't fucking do it because this was <laughs> this was half-assed at best like what what was this I don't know because I like I'm not even sure who's sitting in the chair because it's definitely not Kong you know even though he was like given the right to be monster oh king my in the last God. film are they teasing a new like monster for Kong and Godzilla to team I'm up guessing, against I'm guessing based off that it seems like oh you know someone's killed your Godzilla and Kong <laughs> oh god no no I, well, I doubt they're gonna kill them no. off but yeah like someone's conquered them or something yes. I are they just getting rid of the human element at this point? I doubt it. And there's always some some little human element to run around. You got to have something for people to relate to, right? That's why they come Bullshit. to these films. I just want to see monsters smashing. Exactly. Shit. Like, I don't need to see fucking humans reacting to uh, monster smashing shit. Just give me the smashing, goddammit. I mean, it was minimized in the last film, at least. Like, it felt very much like the focus was the big spectacle of the fight between Godzilla and Kong and that was very well handled I enjoyed that film for the most part as far as the spectacle of their battle okay but the story was was awful right like I remember that from your review yeah the story wasn't anything to write home about but okay. I wasn't there for that I was there yeah. for <laughs> Godzilla whooping ass you know and why would you be exactly. you know in all fairness like you're you're once again there to watch monsters destroy things you know um so I don't know but it just it just was like, like I was waiting to see like, like at the end I was expecting to get like one of those title cards that like have like, you know, this, this teaser was created by like, you know, Monster Smash uh -huh. Master B or whatever. <laughs> the typical kind of thing that you see like whenever you get duped into watching one of these like fan made you mm -hmm. know, teasers. Now playing Megan, Better Late Than Never Review. I won't let anything harm you ever again. Megan came out, I believe, mid-January, but I just couldn't get into the theaters in time to, you know, check it out. Uh, but as luck would have it, it's now streaming on the Peacock channel, which is awesome, but they also have the unrated version. So, you know, I had to definitely check that out. Uh, Megan is about a woman named Gemma, who's a brilliant engineer who works for a toy company. When, because of tragic events, she becomes the sole guardian of her nine-year-old niece, she introduces her to a highly advanced robotic prototype she's created named Megan. But once Gemma starts to rely on Megan to reach her niece in ways she just can't, things go horribly wrong. 
so Megan overall is an enjoyable black comedy, and that's its biggest strength. It unapologetically knows what kind of film it is. And while the killer toy subgenre has been around for a long time, Megan's tech gone wrong angle makes the film more plausible than most. It takes that interesting concept that we got with the unwanted child's play reboot and expands on it with a lot of style. Um, delivering a cautionary tale about, like, our over-reliance on technology. Its message works to a certain extent, but as I watched the film, I just found myself wanting more. Megan is, like, naturally creepy, but they kind of, like, squander her potential to, like, be absolutely horrified. Uh, we get a taste of that here and there. Uh, I mean, the stalking bullying scene comes to mind that you kind of see in the trailers with her crawling on all fours. But unfortunately, there's not just enough of those moments to really touch a nerve. And it feels like a missed opportunity. Uh, like, for example, Megan just randomly starts singing lessons at times, like a demented Teddy Rupskin. I would have loved a scene where she would have, like, broken out into song while making a kill. Uh, there's just so much fun to be had with this concept, and unfortunately, they just, I don't know, they, they miss the opportunity, I feel like. Uh, you know, to the point where I could actually see the sequels being better films down the line, as long as they, you know, take their time and really decide to lean into the horror of it all. Uh, also, I felt like the movie would have been better served if they told the story through the niece's perspective. Uh, she's uh, just much more of a sympathetic character, and Gemma comes off as so unlikable that I found myself like rooting against her for most of the film. I mean, it's definitely by design. She's got this whole, like, Henry Frankenstein vibe going for obvious reasons, but, like, her redemption arc comes just a little too late in the film for you to truly ever get behind her as a character. So with that being said, Megan's a good movie that could have been a great movie. And, I don't know, at the end, I, I just couldn't help but feel a little disappointed. So I'm going to go ahead and give Megan a B-. minus. Uh, like I said before, though, I feel like there's a lot of potential for some amazing sequels down the line, as long as they choose to focus on the horror of it all. Uh, if you want to check out Megan for yourself, it's now streaming on Peacock. Now playing audio from May 1st Best and Worst of the Week. Spicy Nuggets are back. Now, usually I would say this has been a slower week for us, but, you know, Spicy Nuggets are back. That's pretty fucking exciting. Ooh, are they? Yes, at McDonald's, they have a new spicy menu, which is just all their old spicy foods, but back on the menu I for mean, summer. I mean, when know you why. said spicy nuggets are back, Christian, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, I mean, that's awesome news in my book, man. And I mean, I'm going to have to replace my number one for this week. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love me a spicy nugget. Um, especially with we are not sponsored no 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 that fucking clown ronald he's not giving us a dime and nor does he need to um he's gotten plenty of my money over the past uh -huh. years so um but i love me a spicy nugget especially with some sweet and sour sauce that that chef's kiss in my book you know i'm a spice hound i'm putting it on some more buffalo oh every okay. time you know i don't think i've ever done the buffalo sauce uh, really the dipping sauce in mcdonald's Oh, it's good. Okay, you're recommending it? 
Yeah, yeah, I put it on sandwiches and shit. So uh, what, you ask for extra at McDonald's and then the save yeah. it for sa- <laughs> No, 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 no. Not, I'm not saving it. No, don't backtrack. It. Don't backtrack. <laughs> no, I do have one that just sits in my car for fun. That's uh, weird. Okay, yes, don't weird. eat that. I'm not going to. It's been like over a year. Uh, if all of a sudden one week we don't have an episode up because Christian has food poisoning, now you know why. Now I will say Wendy's, they've got decent spicy nuggets also. Like, they do. I, I prefer Wendy's food in general to McDonald's. That's oh, okay. just me. But okay. uh, the McDonald's spicy nuggets definitely, it's a little bit special. A little bit more special. You know, my issue with McDonald's is like, it's not consistent enough. Like, if mm. I consistently got, like, McDonald's, like, fries fresh, like, I would be there, you know, every week. Um, but the McDonald's by my house is hit or miss at best. And you don't know, like, half the time if you're going to actually get what you ordered. Um, mm. So, like, all those factor into, like, you know, McDonald's really being, like, further down my list when it comes to fast food. It's just the shitty fucking service and that inconsistency. But, like, nothing beats, like, a Diet Coke from McDonald's. I don't fucking care what you say. <laughs> they're putting something in that Diet Coke. And nothing beats fries when they're done right from McDonald's. Yes. So, and they absolutely, bar none, have the best nuggets. Um, so yeah, no, I'm a huge McDonald's fan. It's just that inconsistency, you know, I don't know why we're talking this long about fast food and I'm totally <laughs> hungry and it's four o'clock in the morning and <laughs> I can't be that guy, you know, going to McDonald's at like the crack of, you know, dawn. But are you kidding, Damon? As... When we used to record at your house afterwards, I'd go to McDonald's. See, I'm I a would father, go get food for me. So I can't justify eating McDonald's in front of my daughter <laughs> for breakfast. So I have to role model here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Welcome, nerds. Now accessing Horror Data Banks. Just fine. I'm your number one fan. It's time to sharpen your stakes and grab your crosses. Have you checked the children? This is the best of horror in 2023 so far. Alright, so my name's Damon, and this is the Amazing Nerd Show on Patreon. And welcome to the best horror films of 2023 so far. Now, every year around this time, the halfway point, I usually like to do a mini countdown on the podcast of the best horror films so far. Uh, I'm woefully behind with that being said <laughs> this year. Not even seeing, like, the latest, like, chapter of Insidious or A24's Talk to Me, which is a major hit, apparently. Uh, but I plan on rectifying that this week sometime, hopefully. Uh, but, with all that being said, there's still plenty of other great horror offerings to talk about, and you know what? Tradition's tradition. So, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Quickly, brief honorable mentions to Knock at the Cabin and Brooklyn 45. Uh, Brooklyn 45 is a smaller budget film that is currently streaming on Shudder, so go ahead and check that out. But anyway, starting off the countdown, at number five is The Influencer. Change of plans. I made a new friend. Looks like I'll be staying here for a while longer. We're going to explore the country. I just realized I haven't been in front of a fire in, like, a decade. You probably brought me all this way to kill me in the middle of the ocean. No one can hear you scream. 
So the influencer is a smart, wicked exploration of influencer culture and the harsh reality of just how shallow and fleeting it all really is. So I really love this movie. Um, it's really unpredictable and quite disturbing, uh, but its biggest strength is probably its performances and its fantastic direction. So if you're looking for a creepy good time, go ahead and check it out. It's now streaming on Shudder, like the aforementioned Brooklyn 45. So sitting at number four, I have the film Megan. I thought we were having a conversation. Does she talk? Make her say something. Stop! Don't! Megan! You should probably run. Megan is really the first horror character to actually like penetrate pop culture in quite a while. Uh, from skits on SNL to, you know, late night talk shows to a plethora of TikTok videos. Megan was everywhere earlier this year and with good reason. Um, the film is just the embodiment of our fear of AI. Uh, is it perfect? No, but is it a lot of fun? Hell yes. And I think now that they've introduced the concepts, uh, you know, the sequels can really take things to the next level. You know, if they play their cards right, Megan has the potential to be a modern day horror icon. So sitting at number three, I have Scream 6. But there's never been one like me, Gail. <laughs> I'm something different. That's why I'm gonna shoot you in the head. Now, while I thought Scream 2022 was a solid return to form for the franchise, it looks like this was a mere appetizer for what the Radio Silence director duo had in store for us. Scream 6 really breathes new life into the series. This is all done with focusing on a new group of core characters that they introduced in the last film to help drive that metatextual commentary for a new generation, but also putting Ghostface in a brand new environment we've never seen in the films before. I mean, these two choices really gave the film a fresh coat of paint to the point where if it wasn't for a flat killer reveal, I really feel like this film probably would have ranked quite higher on my list. All right, so for my number two pick, I chose Infinity Pool. Maybe think of it as a gift. It's like a new skin working into place. It's for you to complete your transformation. Transgressive and fucked up in all the right ways, uh, Infinity Pool feels like a fever dream to the point where days later, a moment of the film will pop up in your mind without warning and you'll question if it actually happened. And better yet, why the fuck did it happen? Um, <laughs> just incredibly perverse and original. The film is anchored by Mia Goth, Mia Gothing, if that makes any sense. And I dare you to find an actor who gives more of a vulnerable performance than Alex Skarsgård. Um, holy shit. Uh, 
this movie's not going to be for everyone, but I do feel like if you're a hardcore horror fan, you should at least experience it just once. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg is just like his father, and he loves to challenge his audience. And you know what? The genre is definitely better for him doing so. All right, so for my number one pick for best horror film of 2023 so far, I chose Evil Dead Rise. I had the most beautiful dream. It was the perfect day. And all I could think about was how much I wanted to cut you all open and then climb inside your bodies <laughs> so that we could stay one happy family. So much like Scream 6, Sam Raimi and crew took his film series out of the woods and put it in the city. And the results are pretty fucking epic. Uh, but the addition of the family dynamic is really what I believe adds to the intensity. There's something about watching younger kids than we're used to in this series, being terrorized by their deadite possessed mother, that gives the terror just a different subtextual layer. Um, and they absolutely use it to their advantage because the film pulls no punches. It's almost as twisted and insane as the original, just in a different way, uh, which makes it one hell of a horror film if you ask me. And that's why it's number one on my list. But anyway, that's my list for 2023 so far. I'm sure by January, uh, when I do my end of the year countdowns, this list is probably gonna look quite different uh, because like I said before, I have a lot of catching up to do. Well, that does it for this. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to also, grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Warning, warning, warning collapse from incursion imminent. Failure to stop collision will result in the destruction of the entertainment world as we know it. Warning, warning, warning.